Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, Featuring me, Mike Calvin, Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror, and Adi Oladipo, the journalist and broadcaster. It's all too easy to overlook the fact that Thomas Tuchel managed in the last Champions League final in August. PSG showed their gratitude by sacking him with indecent haste and bringing him back to the front line of the European game. Going into the return leg against Atletico Madrid, it looks a decent decision. 12 matches unbeaten, 10 clean sheets, but only 13 goals, Darren. Is that going to be Chelsea's Achilles heel? I think long term, no, but in the short term, yes, because they need to get into the top four and the margins are very fine. There are teams around them dropping points, which will have helped uh, given their failure to beat Leeds. Uh, Leeds, I really expected them to beat Leeds, I have to say, Mike. So it, it in that regard, uh, the failure to score goals could hamper them if they don't make it, if it means they don't make it into the Champions League. But I think longer term, the goals will come. Uh, I think what we're seeing with Werner and Havertz is a reminder for, to all those people excited about the potential of, say, a Haaland to come to the Premier League, that just because you score goals in the Bundesliga, it doesn't mean that you're going to instantly rip it up in the top division of English football. I think for Tuchel, the emphasis right now is on that defence because that unbeaten run you just mentioned a second ago, it... it it wouldn't be there had they been under Frank Lampard because defensively they were so poor for so long. And he's changed that. And I think stage two is getting more goals out of that team. Yeah. Well, if they are still trying to find the optimal attacking options, uh, Addy, you know, Tavert's one goal in 23. I suppose what we're looking at here is a matter of patience more than anything else. Do you think that judgment on all of last summer's additions, does that judgment need to be postponed probably until, you know, the end of this year? 
Possibly, but I don't think it's going to be given until the end of the year. I think it's going to be given until the end of the summer, just because of what you mentioned about that goal return. Yes, we, we have to accept that players coming in from other leagues need time to adapt, but these were players bought for big money. This is really big money that that Roman Abramovich, who hasn't spent as much in the last sort of three or four years, obviously because of the ban in terms of transfers, has outlaid on these transfers. I do think, and going back to what, Darren said, I think the first thing a manager needs to come and do when they come to a club is make them defensively sound. He's done that now. Christiansen all of a sudden looks like a, a reincarnated Franco Baresi. I mean, he looks like he can play. <laughs> Everyone's been given a chance. It is just up front. One thing that he does have up front, though, is bodies. Uh, there's a lot of players in that Chelsea team that can play up front. Olivier Giroud will probably get him the goals. Tammy Abraham, we know, can run around as well. So, I think you're going to wait until the summer. And I wouldn't be shocked if one of the big names isn't there at the start of next season. I wouldn't be shocked if they kind of cash out. I was going to say cash in, but I think they're going to take a loss on whoever they sell just to kind of bring someone else in. I I like Havertz as, as a number nine, but I mean, Mike, you mentioned his goal return and that's just simply not good enough. So there's going to be tough decisions because I think everywhere else on the pitch, I'm pretty impressed in terms of what Thomas Tuchel's done. Everyone's been given a chance. I don't think anyone at the club can say they've not been given a go. Everyone. I mean, who would have thought that Marcus Alonso was going to come back into the fold and Christensen was going to be that kind of mainstay in defence and Hudson-Odoi was going to be a right wing back. So everyone's been given a chance at Chelsea. I just think they lack they lack that real killer up front. And I wouldn't be shocked if one, maybe two go just to finance, bringing in another striker that can put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, it's an... An intriguing prospect, isn't it, Darren? If you're looking for um, you know names, ranks, and serial numbers of the people who might depart, um, <laughs> what about you know Werner? I think will probably end up getting you goals. I've been actually underwhelmed by Ziyech. I, I, I expected so much of him, and I don't think he's really he blossomed in the way that he perhaps should have done. What do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I was at the Champions League game when Ajax played Chelsea, where so many people were impressed with him. We wrote about him. He dominated our copy because of the impact that he was able to make. But I think he was a big player in that team. Uh, Chelsea's one of a number of big players, similar players. And for that reason, he's not been able to get the run of form that would enable him to play in quite the same way that he did at Ajax. I think as far as he is concerned, he will want to play more regularly too. Chelsea have got very, very similar players to him. Hudson-Odoi, Pulisic, Werner likes to play off the left. And so he's dipping in and he's dipping out. And I I agree with, with you both. I think that he is one of a number of players that might well in the summer decide I need to play more regularly. I think one or two positions might even be affected in relation to European championship places. That might make a few minds up too. I think as far as Ziyech is concerned, that doesn't affect him, of course. But I, I think he is a player who I think wants to be more heavily involved in the creative things that the football team he is playing for does. And for that reason, I, I would not be surprised if he weren't happy. Just one last point. I mean, this this Chelsea team reminds me of the Real Madrid team in, I think it was two, Real Madrid squad in 2008, 9, 9, 10, when there were so many good players, some of them left, and Wesley Schneider's one that comes to mind. He left Real Madrid. Mm. Lots of people said, 
oh, he wasn't good enough. He went to Inter Milan and inspired them to win the treble. You know, I think there are some very, very good players at Chelsea who, if they do decide they don't want to sit on the bench, like Tammy Abraham won't sign a new contract because he's worried that he's going to end up signing it and then wasting away on the bench. Billy Gilmore is too good either to be on the bench or not in the squad altogether. There are a number of players in that squad who I think will turn around and say, do you know what? I I I think I'm going to go elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's the nature of the modern game, isn't it, Addy? Yeah, it is. Uh, and and what, I think we're seeing more of it, though. I, I do feel that players were happy to sit on the bench before. You're not seeing that anymore, especially with young English talent as well. I think we've seen this this mass exodus to, it's particularly the Bundesliga of players saying, OK, if it doesn't work out here, we can go elsewhere. And I think I think it's good for those players to, to want and play. I think of someone like Deli Ali, who... I think should be starting for a club. I mean, Deli Ali is getting five minutes here, 10 minutes there. And I feel like players of that age, and we are talking of that age, aren't we? When we think of players like Ziyech and Havertz and Werner and Tammy Abraham, 22, 23 years of age, where if you're not playing, it's, it's it doesn't sit well with me. You've got to go and play. And I do think that we are going to see a mass exodus at Chelsea of players Again, like Darren touched on, not because they're not good enough, maybe just because they don't fit the system, maybe because they don't fit the way the Premier League is. These players will leave just because they want playing time. And I think um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Chelsea in the summer. Particularly, let's not forget as well, Thomas Tuchel has an 18-month contract. Now, is Roman Abramovich going to give him 150, 200 million to spend on players when he might not be there in a year's time after the summer? So, Chelsea is a very interesting club to look at, especially come the summer, just because of the amount of players they've got, the amount of money they spent in the summer and the amount of money I think they will spend in this summer. I've always had a certain degree of respect for players who've, who've actually, or English players, who've gone abroad. Atletico, we know what they're capable of and they could quite easily overcome their first leg deficit at the bridge. Kieran Trippier, Darren, it's a twofold question really. One, he's proved his value to Simeone, who couldn't wait to get him back in the team. And it's the nature of that decision that he had to make. Trippier had that 10-week ban. Do you think that was fair? What, the ban? The ban. Uh, yeah, the ban no, for betting. No, I don't think it was fair. Um, Trippier did what I would imagine players up and down the country do. I think that... There is this belief that players exist in, in, a, in a vacuum and that they don't have friends outside football to whom they talk about football. And we have to decide something in the sport. There is a heavy reliance on gambling. There is a symbiotic relationship, which isn't necessarily healthy. Although they, they provide the money, they also provide the source of many problems for a lot of footballers that could be eradicated if that relationship didn't exist. If you want players not to put themselves in the kind of situation that Trippier was punished for, then you have to get rid of those markets. If those markets don't exist, then players like Trippier don't get put into that kind of position. It was the bookmakers who went crying foul to the authorities because they spotted irregular betting patterns. So in other words, what they want is for people with no knowledge to waste their money rather than people who might find out things, not necessarily 
because the player has encouraged that, but because the player might well be part of a group, for example, having dinner. And somebody says, well, what's happening with you? You know, it might just be a friend of a friend. It might be the girlfriend of a friend. It might be an equi- What's happening with you in the summer? Well, I think I'm going to be going to X or Y club. And then the person goes away and takes advantage of the odds that are available. Is that the footballer's fault? Is there any kind of negative collusion, shall we say? And I'm choosing words carefully here, but I think the basic premise of what I'm trying to say is that footballers are put into the kind of situation that Trippier was in because those markets exist. And if those markets don't exist, then that wouldn't happen. The bookmakers can't have it both ways. Yeah, it's almost twofold as well, Mike. Look, you received a £70,000 fine, which I thought was excessive, a 10-week suspension. But I think the the real losers here were Atletico Madrid, who had absolutely nothing to do with this. I mean, mm. he at the time was, was, was a Spurs player. And um, I think Atletico Madrid got punished for something that's nothing to do with them. So I, I'm with I'm with Mike here. There's there's always this relationship with, with betting and gambling and, and football. And I think if the authorities don't take care, we're going to see similar situations to Trippier all up and down the country, um, just because, again, of how close these two things are, how how they're intertwined and linked. But yeah, I think more than it being unfair on Trippier, I think it was unfair on Diego, Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid, who I think who missed Trippier desperately. I mean, that's why he was so hurried back into the squad for Real Madrid, just because of how, how much he has been missed. And he's been a fantastic asset to Atletico Madrid. I think he's done really well for them. Yeah, he has, and I think he, he deserves credit for almost coming back in a in a seamless manner. And it is actually interesting. You know, we've got the you know, the latest England squad later in the week, which will have a lot of younger players within it. It'd be interesting to see if Trippier uh, retains the faith of Gareth Southgate. Darren, I want to go on to Manchester City. They look comfortable against uh, Munch and Gladbach. Is it possible? for them to maintain their edge when so many Premier League games at the moment don't really stretch them, if we're honest. You know, if you look at Fulham on Saturday night, OK, the first half was 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 sticky, but second half, the, the moment they got their first goal, it was all over. Do you think that is an issue that when you get to the later stages of the Champions League in particular, obviously you go up a, a couple of levels, that you've been worn down by almost the ease of which you're winning the Premier League? It's a really good question because really when you get into this stage of the season, you do want to be sharp. You do want to be almost rampant, you know, who's next, who's next, that kind of attitude. So as far as City are concerned, it could be very easy for them to have games so easy that, maybe their attitude isn't quite right. That said, you look at the hunger. I know a lot of the columnists on Sunday were were in their assessments of the Fulham game were saying the opposite. They were saying that it was an ideal situation against Fulham because I know Ollie Holt's view was that it was a perfect scenario. He was able to rest some players, win easily and get ready to face a side that had lost their last six in all competitions. Uh, on in midweek in the Champions League. But I, I think the truth is somewhere in between because although you do have that scenario, if you go into games with the wrong attitude in this kind of next stage of the Champions League, you will find yourself up against a side whose attitude is on point and is 
quite battle-hardened, if you like, and able to take advantage. And it could well be that you're one away goal, away from being on the wrong end of something that should have been, should have been within your grasp. Yeah, I suppose because we're talking about Manchester City and the Champions League, it's almost in the contract, Addy, that we have to ask the question, can Pep Guardiola avoid overthinking himself at the business end of this tournament? What do you think? <laughs> it's a great question, right? We saw it last season, didn't we? Um, I don't know. It, it, it's a tough one with City and his Champions League. Obviously, it's their massive Achilles heel. Um, I do think, you know, when I look at the sides left in the Champions League this season, I do think it's probably one of the weaker Champions Leagues I, I can remember. We'll wait and see if Real Madrid and what happens with the Real Madrid-Atalanta tie. But you look at that and you'd fancy City against any of those players, or sorry, those teams. Bayern Munich is the draw, obviously, that they, they will want to avoid. I think I think it's fair to say everyone will want to avoid. I, I hope that Pep's learnt from what he did last season. I, I really do. I hope the players are fired up. And look, to be fair, I think the players are always fired up. I think the last couple of seasons being knocked out by Spurs and, and, then, and then by Lyon. I, I do think that we'll see a different Man City in this Champions League. I do think that the squad looks good, although they don't have a striker. I think Aguero scoring a penalty on the weekend is good. I think Jesus looked good again. I think Jesus gets a lot of stick, but I look at his goal scoring record and the boy scores goals. So I do think we're going to see a different City. I think Pep will, won't overthink this one. And I expect City to to really go as close as they can in this Champions League, just because I don't think the depth's there in this Champions League anymore. I really don't. I think um, the teams have really fallen off this season. I mean, Liverpool are third favourites to win the Champions League, and I think Liverpool are having a disaster of a season. So it says a lot about the strength of the Champions League, I think, this year. Yeah. You have any thoughts on that, Darren, in terms of who the potential people to avoid would be in that in the quarterfinal, semi-final draw? I think, for me, Bayern Munich. Absolutely. Bayern Munich have got so many goals in that front line. They've got pace and ingenuity in that forward line. I think they've only been beaten twice or three times at the most all season. And I I think there is every chance that they could, that they could lift this thing. I mean, if you look at all the other teams, there are weaknesses in all of them. The greats have gone out. You get like Juventus, Barcelona, uh, first time I think in 16 years that neither Ronaldo or Messi have been in the latter stages of the competition. But beyond them, for me, Bayern Munich all day long, just because Lewandowski scores goals, they've got Kingsley Komen, uh, Leroy Sane, Gnabry, it, it is just rampant I, I think Leon Goretzka and, and Joshua Kimmich behind them they've got such a fantastic balance between defensive strength and the ability to score goals for fun I think they've scored 10 in the last three so for me any side that comes up against Bayern will know that they've been in a game but I, I actually do very briefly think that City have got a very good chance because of their defensive improvements. I totally agree with you, Addy. If you look at Gabriel's scoring record, he's been directly involved in 95 goals in his last 114 starts in all competitions. When you break that down, that's 17, 75 goals and 22 assists. He's also scored eight goals and assisted one more in his last 10 starts. His goal record is good. 
And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. So I totally agree. Factor into that Aguero scored his first goal for just over a year, I think 14 months at the weekend when he scored that penalty yeah. against Fulham. And suddenly you've got a City side that could be coming together at precisely the right time. I say you would have to put them up alongside the favourites now to go and win the thing. It's interesting uh, you mentioned Aguero there, Darren. Uh, Ali, it's an interesting juncture in his career, isn't it? You've got the Spanish papers talking up the prospect of him going to Spain. You've got almost, there's almost acceptance that he's going through a long goodbye at City, even over here. What do you think the future holds for him? I think he will be gone in the summer. I'll be shocked if he's a City player come the start of next season. I do think there's still a fantastic player in there if you can get him on the pitch fit. I think a 60% Aguero is still better than the majority of strikers out there. I think he's that good. That stat about him not scoring, I think since, I think it was January 2020 when he last scored a league goal was astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing. Yes, there have been injuries, but this is Sergio Aguero. We're talking about one of the greatest Premier League strikers there have been. There has been some whispers about a Barcelona matchup with Lionel Messi just to keep Messi happy. Obviously, them two are great friends. I, I don't know. He's only, what, I think he's 32, Sergio Aguero. So there's still, I think, a couple of good seasons in him. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him in La Liga, but there's also been some talk about him going back to Argentina as well. I think we've seen players like Carlos Tevez move back there and kind of have their swung song there. But um, I, I, I do think... One thing is guaranteed, I think, anyway, and I don't think that he's going to be a Man City player at the start of next season. I do think the whispers about Haaland seem to be growing stronger and stronger. And look, we might talk about a certain Harry Kane a bit later as well. Mm. I mean, if, if, if Man City can get either of those two, then I think we can part the Premier League at the Etihad for the next couple of seasons. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. It does bring us on to Manchester United, Darren. You know, by rights, this stage of the Champions League, we should be talking about Manchester United. What we have to talk about, as far as they're concerned, is the consequences of elimination by AC Milan in the Europa League. How the mighty have fallen? Yeah, indeed. There's still no Premier League title since Sir Alex Ferguson retired in 2013 and still underwhelming in the Europa League, still being caught cold late in games that they should be wrapping up. And I think it is a measure. The position that they occupy in the Premier League masks a variety of things. I also think that that long unbeaten run away from home masks a lot as well, an inconsistency at Old Trafford. Now, you could maybe put an asterisk against that, given that this season there are no fans and some of those performances fans at Old Trafford wouldn't stand for. But I think in the Europa League... I think I wonder, you know, if there might be more urgency to win it and a different approach to it if United weren't in the position they are in the Premier League. Because let's not make any mistake, the brief for United, the primary brief has been to get back into the Champions League and that's what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is on course to do. Uh, but I certainly think in terms of past years and certainly some of the greats, the Roy Keynes of this world would say, that the brief should be to get back in the Champions League and to win the Europa League. And you wouldn't take issue too much with that. A lot of people looking at Milan and saying, you should be seeing off Milan. 
I, I, I wouldn't necessarily go that far because Milan are better than they have been for quite some time. At the point that mm. they drew in that first leg, they were second in the league. I think they'd won their previous four games. There wasn't any Zlatan for that match. I think he might be back for the second leg. And that could be very, very interesting indeed in terms of if United were not to approach it in quite the same way, they could find themselves coming unstuck. But United should be doing better, both in the league and in the Europa League. And if they don't, there is still time for them to be caught. Mentioning Zlatan there, Addy, what's your take on him? You know, I look at him now and I see a character who is morphing into a 39-year-old caricature. You know, some of the stuff that he, you know, the spat he got into about the role of a an athlete and you know, political activism and all those sort of you know really important issues he just came across as bombastic and and frankly a bit ignorant where does zlatan the footballer and zlatan the personality fit into that milan team and specifically this season i think zlatan the footballer and zlatan the caricature are struggling to fit both in zlatan's head I think I think Zlatan now is morphing into someone that I find quite uncomfortable to watch. I watch his spats. I remember he had that spat with Lukaku, and I thought some of his words were a bit outrageous and and quite quite horrible. And and that that spat or those war were even a war of words to be honest. Those words about LeBron James and that LeBron James should just carry on doing what LeBron James does, which is basically just play basketball and kind of move away from politics and activism, I thought were just, were incredible. And I've grown up being a, a Zlatan fan. I actually love the, the take on Zlatan sometimes when he calls himself God and Zlatan does this and Zlatan does that when he thinks of himself as a, in sort of the second person. But I think this Zlatan now is becoming a bit unbearable. I still think he's a fantastic footballer. I think he for a 39-year-old, keeps himself in absolutely fantastic TikTok shape. I loved his spell, the spell at Manchester United. And if it wasn't for that injury, we could still be seeing Zlatan at United. But um, yeah, I'm starting to become a bit uncomfortable with the way in which Zlatan handles the press and the way in which Zlatan speaks about himself. But as a footballer, I still think he's fantastic. And I think like Darren said there, if he does play in the second leg against Manchester United, he will give a lot of problems to whether it be Lindelof or Maguire, or if Bailly comes in, he'll give them problems. But I, I, I am a bit uncomfortable with who Zlatan is morphing into. I think this, um, this character that he's created in the last few seasons, I think, is becoming a bit too, a bit too big-headed for my liking. Yeah, well, that's one way of putting it, big-headed, blimey. <laughs> um, when, you, when you think about yeah, United, there was a, a story in your paper, Darren, about Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's new contract, £9 million a year. In effect, does that mean that United are doubling down on the gamble with his managerial acumen? In a word, yes. I think as far as Solskjaer is concerned, they've wanted to be seen to be backing him even during the most difficult periods of his reign. Other managers at other big clubs have done more in a shorter space of time. There was a point earlier this season, I think it was ahead of the game against... Everton at Goodison Park. They'd been beaten at home by PSG. They'd been beaten by Leipzig. They'd drawn with City. And, and the run of form was just so bad and, and fans were unhappy. And it looked very much at that point where 
if he'd lost against Everton, they may well have been building the footballing gallows for him. But I think as far as he was concerned, um, he... They they sent messages out via the people who covered the club that they were prepared to stand by him. And having stood by him, they've got back into the top four. So they may take the view that it's the right thing to do to stand by him. My concern is that the clubs around United won't be as bad or transitional as they have been for much longer. And I think unless United, unless there is some significant improvement, and by that I mean this, they hit top spot in the Premier League at the turn of the year. Since then, they've struggled in many of the games that they should have won. And City have not only come up alongside them, but left them trailing in their dust. They've just accelerated away. So that's what I mean when I say that United's position in the Premier League kind of masks a number of things, and a number of areas of improvement. How do they get that improvement? Do they go out and get another big centre-half and actually finally address that problem that they've got at the back? Does the fact that they've scored jointly the second highest number of goals in the Premier League mask the fact that they've got to go out and get a new striker so they've, they've got a 20-25 goal a season man? And can they attract that striker given that other clubs around them are showing a, a better rate of improvement and have got more quality in their teams? They're all big questions for the owners of the club if they do want to keep Solskjaer to address Mike, I have to be honest, though, I didn't expect this from Manchester United this season. A lot of people have said it's a, that they're, them being second in the league right now is a false position, but they are second in the league. It could be a false position because we expected Liverpool to be there, maybe because of the situation with Chelsea, but Manchester United rightly are second in the league. I think Oli's brought out the best in Luke Shaw. I think Luke Shaw is arguably, maybe alongside Kieran Tierney, the best left back in the league. I think he's improved massively. Under Oli, I think Wambasaka is a fantastic. Wambasaka is probably the best one-on-one defender currently in the league. You, you can't get past the kid. Bruno Fernandez is. It's obviously look again. We we don't give plaudits for Oli the way Bruno Fernandez is, but the fact is he's playing under Oli at Manchester United and he's playing fantastically well. Mason Greenwood's come on leaps and bounds as well. Even Daniel James has started to show improvement. So I do think we need to give Oli some credit. I think the thing that frustrates Manchester United fans is that they watch them against the likes of Man City, where they won and broke that Man City unbeaten run. You think, why can't they do that week in, week out? I think Manchester United are a centre-back and a top number nine away from competing next season. I really do. And that might sound ludicrous, given the gap that City have right now, but I don't think they're that far off. Last season, we saw them get into a couple of semi-finals. They're not that far away, are Manchester United. And I think we have to give Oli some, some plaudits. I think we're still a bit iffy with Oli, maybe just because of the way he's come and we've seen him over here with Cardiff and then obviously at Mulder. But I think Oli's a decent manager and I think he deserves the contract extension just because of the position that United are in now. With regards to them in the Europa League, I sometimes wonder if United care about the Europa League as much as we do. I think Oli needs to win it because I think he needs to win a trophy. But I mean, the Europa League didn't save Mourinho, did it? I, I don't know. I, I think Oli deserves a, a few more plaudits than, than he's been given. Okay, he has to work under, let's say, distinctive ownership, which actually you mentioned there, Darren. Now, look, we're conditioned, aren't we, to to rampant capitalism in the Premier League. But how can the news that Avram Glazer is selling shares worth around about $100 million, reinvesting none of that money, none of that money back into the club, how can that be accepted 
with barely a murmur. Isn't he jeopardising team development? Yes, in a word. Uh, I think as far as the, the fans are concerned, all the concerns that they did have about the, the Glazers wanting simply to take money out of the club have been realised uh, in, in, in that one act. And there will be lots of people saying, I told you so. The trouble is, it's the same as it's always been with football. I remember people saying, if so, if, if a despotic ruler wanted to take over at a football club and he was proven to have been involved in human rights abuses and all sorts, but he was willing to clear the debt and invest several hundred million pounds in improving the team, most fans would snap their hands off. And uh, I think as far as United are concerned, there would be more consternation about that if they were outside of the top four, top six, if they weren't, if they were on the verge of going out of the Europa League. When teams are underachieving, those issues always get more credence, more airtime. When teams are doing well, people sadly conveniently forget. Yeah, well... Lest we forget, the, the Glazers, even with that share sale, will still own just under 75% of Manchester United. Another brother, Joel Glazer, has been prominent in agitating for a breakaway Super League. Just to, just to be uh, clear, these... Mike, there's obviously there's no suggestion that <laughs> um, Avram Glazer's been involved in anything untoward, just to be clear. Just before it oh, is, yeah. reaches for his lawyer on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think anyone would have uh, even you know made that assumption, Darren. But uh, yeah, better safe than sorry. Yeah. Saying there, um, Addy, you know, Joel Glazer has been prominent in agitating for a breakaway Super League. We've got this so-called Swiss model, which will you know come into into play. Well, for the Champions League from 2024 onwards, which is a horribly bloated, selfish model. Where are we going with all this? Is this basically football, because of the success of the Champions League, but is this now football essentially as an ATM? It's it's where you go and you know, draw out your 300 million and it's not really a sport anymore. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, 100%. Football is an ATM and it has been for a number of, the year, number of years. This isn't sort of nothing new. I think fans need to understand that the owners of clubs aren't your, they, they don't support the clubs. They might come and, you know, wear a scarf when they're there at home matches, but th these are ruthless businessmen that look at the clubs as assets and investments. And that's all they've looked at it. The day of your local butchers being the sponsor in your shirt. I mean, those days have gone since the early eighties. Now these, these are multi-billionaire billion dollar companies that want to take over football clubs and try and draw out as much money as humanly possible. And that's what they're doing. And that's what the the potential Super League, and I say potential because I, I really don't see it happening for a number of years, but the potential Super League is that, right? I mean, it's, it's the best clubs, the clubs that have the most fans and make the most money all coming together to share this pot of gold themselves. And they simply don't want the clubs that don't bring nothing to the table as part of this anymore. It, it, it is sad but again, I mean, I'm old enough to know now that football is a business. Football isn't what it used to be. It's a, it's a business and it's a business where it's all about making money. And nothing makes as much money right now as the Premier League and the Champions League. So it, it's sad times, Mike. It really is sad, but that's just what football is now. And I fully understand it. And I'm pretty sure most of the listeners 
listening to this podcast, I understand it as well. Yeah, well, I'm a hopeless old romantic, Addy, and, sh- and I'm sure you are as well, Darren. Let's look at it from the perspective of what I would call the Premier League 14. In other words, those who will be excluded from any you know, big payday, like huge payday, by a breakaway Super League. In other words, top six go and play, you know, take their ball elsewhere. Should they become more militant and basically say, look, if you guys want to go and do, go and play with your Super League, you go. We will stay and reconstitute English football as we know it can be. They should do, but I think they're worried about taking on those big clubs. They want to be aligned with <laughs> the, the, the clubs that attract so many supporters around the world and by definition bring that, that attention to them by playing in football matches with them. I was trying to think of an analogy and, and, and the only one I could think of is quite a crass one, but it's a bit like being with your mate when he goes to a nightclub and he's better looking than you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic analogy. <laughs> it makes absolutely perfect sense. What, what's a nightclub? I've known of those for quite a while. <laughs> that's the easiest way to describe it and I think all of those clubs at this stage they're 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 in a cleft stick because I think it's a difficult moment for English football we all know that project picture will never really go away we also know as Addy was saying about the lack of appetite within a lot of clubs to do anything other than stay in the big top division because that's where the money is so you get clubs not going all out for example to win the FA Cup uh, and changing up their side so that the best players are rested for the Premier League because that's where the money is you get bigger clubs resting players for Premier League games so that they can win the Champions League because that's where the money is and I think we are moving we're already in I wouldn't say moving towards we are already in an age where romance goes out of the window and days when we would do stories in newspapers about butchers bakers candlestick makers getting success in the FA Cup are are fewer and fewer because even the smaller clubs are bringing their financial power to bear and they are doing it because they're staying in the Premier League. So, for example, Aston Villa stayed up last season, go out and spend £33 million on Ollie Watkins because that's where the money is. Staying in the Premier League enables that to happen. And if it means that they don't upset the big clubs that make the Premier League what it is, they will do that. Mm. Yeah, to continue the... um nightclub analogy because I find it irresistible <laughs> uh, uh, Addy Spurs and Arsenal will be in the roped off VIP section <laughs> throwing uh, bottles of Cristal champagne around uh, other other makes of champagne are available folks <laughs> if you're Arsenal and Spurs mm. it seems to me that you are really at a, at a critical juncture of your club's development which club's got greater short-term potential, Arsenal under Arteta or Spurs as hostage to Jose Mourinho's fortunes? Well, that's an interesting question, that. Short-term, I'd have to go to, 
Spurs, I think short-term Spurs. And, and the reason I say this is because I think Arsenal long-term have the better players. I look at if they can keep Odegaard. I look at that Odegaard, Emil Smith-Rowe and, and Saka. And I think potentially that as a, a forward front three with a striker as a number nine, potentially going forward is fantastic. But I look at Tottenham and I think, okay, proven right now, Kane, Son, if they can get Bell back on Song, then that that there is, um, it's already experience. It's already maturity. It's already players that I know can do the job as as opposed to Arsenal, which I think is potential. So I, I would have to to favour Tottenham, but I, I like what Arteta's doing at Arsenal. I know that it's, he's come under some criticism, but I even like what he did yesterday to Aubameyang. Uh, I like the idea of, you know, if you if you don't toe the line, you don't play. You're, you'll be on the bench in what is one of the biggest games of the season. I, I like that. Um, and I think he's trying to put his foot down. I like what he did at the start of the season. He cleared house, didn't he? Almost like the Royal Rumble. Everyone got thrown over the top rope if you're not good enough, didn't they? So <laughs> how many analogies are we going to use today, Jets? But um, I, I love what he's done there. But I think in the short term, I think Mourinho has, has a stronger and more experienced 11 in the short term. But I think long term, I think Arteta is going to do a good job at Arsenal. Wasn't it bleakly predictable, Darren, that Jose Mourinho's reaction to defeat in the North London derby was to accuse his players of hiding. You've got a team, okay, there was misfortune. Son had his early hamstring injury. You had Lamella going from, you know, the proverbial hero to zero. The system and the strategies just doesn't seem right, in, especially in big games. Yeah, I was really surprised, really surprised and disappointed in many respects as well, because I expected Spurs to take the game to Arsenal. I expected on the basis of the previous wins that they'd had, the confidence that was up, the fact that Gareth Bale is flying, Harry Kane and, and Son have been doing what Harry Kane and Son have been doing for so many seasons now. And even in defence, they'd been looking better in recent matches. I expected a wholly different approach to the match. But I think there was too much respect shown to Arsenal. And as a result, Spurs, uh, uh, yeah, they, they, they were undone in a match that they were perfectly capable of winning. And I was also surprised by the reaction afterwards because on uh, Jose Mourinho has made the case that the big players were hiding. But it was almost like the way that David Moyes went out and set up against West Ham. There was just surprise at the negativity around it because they were perfectly capable of getting at least a result. And in Spurs' case, they were perfectly capable of getting, not getting, beating an Arsenal side low on confidence, one clean sheet in their previous 12. These days, they could mess up a cup of coffee. I mean, I think as far as Mm. Arsenal are concerned, they were there for the taking and, and Spurs really beat themselves in many respects, rather than beating the, but rather than uh, Arsenal taking advantage, so and also I believe that the the, the res- relationship between Mourinho and his players was stronger than it is. Sorry, Addy, you were going to come in there. No, no, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Just because if I'm a Spurs fan, I look at that starting eleven, I'm thinking I'm excited before I see how they're lined up on the pitch in terms of formation. I'm excited about that starting 11 because I'm thinking, okay, we have a team here that can go toe-to-toe, if not beat a lot of teams in the Premier League. And then Jose just, it's so negative. And and it 
it really must frustrate Spurs fans just because they see. Look, I remember when Gareth Bell was signed at the start of the season and we all were saying, everyone was saying, Gareth Bell, Kane and Son as a front three could be the hottest front three we've ever seen in the Premier League. And all of a sudden, he's got that now. He's got Bell scoring. And then it just so defensive-minded. And it it must frustrate. Like, I was looking at Harry Kane's reaction on the pitch yesterday after the match. And he's shaking his head. And you're thinking, there could be a problem here in the summer. He's not going to be happy with this. And look, everyone's been speaking about Harry Kane needing a trophy in that cabinet. I don't think he needs a trophy. I think he wants a trophy. And I think there could be further problems. Because if I'm Harry Kane... No, I, I'm not accepting this. We've got a good squad of players here now. And if we had, I dare say, our old manager with this current squad of players, it will be exciting and we'll go for games. And Mourinho just simply doesn't do that. It's it's so negative. And I almost look at Mourinho now like a bit of a dinosaur. I, I love Mourinho when he came in. He was a maverick when he came in at Chelsea and his times at Inter Milan. And even maybe his first stint at United, this Mourinho now, the negativity in matches against the big six in particular, it, it has to stop. It's it's really bad. And I say this as a neutral, it's really bad to watch that was yesterday. Yeah, it, it's interesting what you say about Harry Kane. You look at him, he's, you know, he was talking last week about wanting to play until he's 40. You know, there's a really decent chance he'll retire as the Premier League's greatest ever scorer. But, and there's always a but with Harry Kane at the moment, will he get what he wants at Tottenham? And, and Darren... You know, rather much like Addy was saying, do you expect Harry Kane to start next season with another club? I expect him to be... I expect his loyalty to Spurs to be tested in the summer, for sure. For sure. He loves the club, wants to win things with the club, play Champions League football again with the club. And I don't think he just wants a trophy. I want. I think he wants ambition. I think he wants a trophy to be the start of something at Tottenham. And unless there's a huge amount of investment, and I don't mean with respect to some of the lower profile players that they've brought in, restricted investment. I mean the kind of investment you get at a City, a Chelsea, a United, a Liverpool. Then I think he would consider his options and he'd have every right to because he owes Tottenham nothing his goal record over the last five, six years has been phenomenal. And I remember when he came into the side and the holes that he's dug Spurs out of time and time again, he doesn't know Spurs that much. And I think if a City were to come in and say to him, we need a striker, you're our man, hit the ground running. You've got players around you to do the work outside the box. We just need you inside the box doing what you do best. Who could blame him if he were to say, do you know what, I think it's time. Because Gareth Bell in that squad, in that team with him, will turn around and say, I had the chance to do what you are being yeah. offered the opportunity to do now. I look back and I'm glad I forced it. I'm glad I've done it because mm. when I look at my four Champions League trophies... And the experience I had, forget about the last, you know, 18 months or so. When I look at those four trophies, I say to myself, in life, sometimes you get one chance to be brilliant, to be the best, to touch the sky. And that's what I did when I went to Real Madrid. If you get the chance, take it. You can always come back, but go there, shine, win things, rip it up. And this scenario reminds me of when Alan Shearer had the chance to go to a United side that had 
Giggs on one side, Beckham on the other, Scholes and Keane in midfield. A fantastic defence, as we all know. And one piece of the jigsaw that was missing was a centre-forward, and they went calling for Shearer, and Shearer decided, understandably so, to go to Newcastle instead of going to United. But had he gone to United, I remember people saying at the time that we'd all have to park the Premier League trophy at Old Trafford. Now, as Addy's saying, it would have to be the Etihad if Kane were to go there. Yeah. Do you think, uh, yeah, my my sense over the weekend, Addy, was that the top four became clearer, as actually, funny enough, did the bottom four. Everton, they were almost being marginalised because of their home form, lost four of the last five at Goodison. You know, Darren mentioned David Moyes and uh, at West Ham. You know, again, they, they were ultra-defensive at, at Manchester United and probably paid the price for that. Are things beginning to get a bit clearer? Yes, uh, as the simple answer. I think that top four now will remain the top four. I think it will be City, United, uh, Leicester and Chelsea. I think like, Everton have lost 10 games uh, this season. And, and I don't think any one of us can bank on Everton winning their next four home games. They just simply aren't good enough at home. Um, I like what Carlo Angelotti's done at Everton. I still think they're going to need to to reinforce in the summer. I think Allen and DeCourie have been fantastic signings. I think Godfrey's a fantastic sign, and I really do. I think he's going to be one that stays there and really does well for them for the for the foreseeable future. I think they, they lack a striker. Josh King's come in, and I remember Carlo Angelotti saying he's not coming in to score goals. I was like, well, what's he coming in to do? Sell shirts? <laughs> he's coming in. Like, what? what, what? I, I was confused by it. Maybe I lost the memo. Josh King's a striker. He should be there to score goals. But I don't think he's the man if Dominic Calvert-Lewin has an injury to get the goals for them. I think Richarlison's kicked on this season. I, I I thought he had a slow start, but he's got his scoring boots on. But I do think they lack another uh, another attacker. It's not quite worked out with James Rodriguez, but I mean, I think we can only look at his last five seasons at Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. And we all kind of expected this, to be honest with you. His injury record is his injury record. But... I like what he's done. Look, the owner spent a hell of a lot of money since he's been there. What, nearly 500 million. So I think he's going to have to go in to those um, those pockets once again in the summer. But I think Everton will just miss out just because, again, the home form is, has been horrendous. And I mean, losing 10 games and it will be more before the end of the season and making the Champions League just doesn't quite sit well with me. So I think I think they'll miss out. I think David Moyes has done a great job at West Ham. I think they'll miss out as well. Leicester were the ones that, scared me because of how they fell off a cliff last season. And I really thought with Harvey Barnes and James Madison being out, who's going to help Vardy get the goals? But Ian Nacho all of a sudden uh, has started to hit the goals and he's on a nice purple patch as well. So I think the top four will be the top four. And I think everyone else, including my Liverpool, unfortunately will miss out. Yeah, I just want to bring it all together now, chaps, really. I promise this is the last time I'm going to talk about VAR. (laughs) 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 Okay, the Premier League are asking clubs for comments about potential improvements for VAR for next season. If you had one potential improvement, what would yours be? Can I start with you, please, Darren? Uh, If you have to look at something for more than 30 seconds, so, for example, an offside decision, then the player is offside. No arguments. (laughs) Short and to the point, uh, I totally agree with you. What about you, Eddie? Get rid of it. Okay. I, I um I, I can't stand it. Michael, I watch as we all do, we watch football for moments, right? Football as a fan of any particular club brings you so many heartaches and you just watch it for that moment, whether it's that goal in the ninety-fifth minute or whatever it is. 
That's what we watch football for. And VAR, unfortunately, has ruined those moments for me. The fact that a goal goes in and I no longer celebrate just because I'm I'm worried about what happened five minutes in the lead up to the goal is really ruined football for me. I, I just can't enjoy it. But if I'm going to be more serious, I'm with Darren here. VAR was brought in for it to be quick as well. If a decision happens, let's quickly run to the monitor. Let's get a decision in 20 to 30 seconds. If it takes five minutes to make a decision, then you've lost the flow of the game. So decisions have to be immediate. If you can't decide, then a referee just has to take control of it and make the decision himself. Um, I can't stand when they bring out these 3D lines like I'm in my old old geography school. I, I, I just don't understand it. I don't like it. But yeah, decisions have to be a lot quicker for me. Yeah, well, for me, for this review to matter, it's got to ask the fans what they feel. You know, they're the people who in normal times at least pay their money and make their choice. Martin Cloak, who's connected to the Tottenham Supporters Trust, asked his peers what they would tell the Premier League. And I was struck by just the simple wisdom of a reply from uh, Eric Collins. This is what he said. It's taken away emotion and excitement, the reason why I renew my season ticket each year and travel three hours each way for matches. Scrap it now before future generations don't want to see live games. Keep goal line technology, it's an instant result and benefit. Now, I agree with him. Do you? Please let me know. In the meantime, thanks to Addy and Darren, and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.